Good morning, Gold Avenue Church family. This is Pastor Gina, and today we are going to be looking at Romans chapter 3, verses 9 to 24. And um, before we begin, let's pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that your word is alive and active. And Lord, we thank you that you wrote your word um, to those who were loved by you. And um, you sent your word to us to assure us of your love and um, to remind us of the depth of your love. And so, Lord, I pray that today in the preaching of your word that we would grow in even a deeper understanding of your love for us and um, for the magnitude of your grace. Lord, increase our gratitude, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. So today's message is um, in our, um, our series on Go and Make Disciples. We're in Unit 9. And so the Gospel Tool Unit 9 um, says this, We are also unquestionably stuck. Not only do we experience the bitter consequences of our brokenness and rebellion, but we have earned for ourselves a just punishment for our sins. Because God is perfect in goodness and purity, we owe God a righteousness that we are not able to supply. We simply cannot redeem ourselves, nor can we heal this world. Left to ourselves, we're destined to the hell of eternal separation from God and all that is good. And then um, our text for today from the Bible is Romans chapter 3. And um, Romans is, um, as Gordon Fee, one of the theologians, our contemporary theologians, said this, arguably um, Romans is the most influential book in Christian history and perhaps in the history of Western civilization. So we're going to be looking at a very influential book written by Paul, And um, he starts out his book um, talking about his longing to see the Romans, about God's wrath against sinful humanity, about God's judgment, um, about what it is to um, be a Jew. And do Jews have any any, um, advantage over the Gentiles? And so there's a little bit of discussion early on in chapter 3 about that. And then um, we pick up here with verse 9, chapter 3 of Romans. What shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know 
that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. And this is the word of the Lord. This passage tells us that we are totally stuck. Stuck means being trapped in something. And as I thought about being trapped in something, I was reminded of a story a few summers ago. It was in the summer on a, um, it had been a rainy day and I headed up north a little ahead of Dane, my husband, and I was going to go and open up the cottage and, um, we were, we had some extended family with us and I thought I'm going to get a head start and I'm going to go up there and get things, um, organized before the rest of the family arrives. And so I was driving, and I got the idea that I should take a shortcut um, because I could trim off probably an extra 10 minutes or so off of my drive if I took this dirt road through the forest. And so it was not dark yet, and I turned onto that road, and as soon as I turned onto it, I kind of had this little check like, oh, maybe I shouldn't be driving on this road because it had been raining all day. But I got probably a quarter of a mile up and got over the railroad tracks. And um, as soon as I went down the other side of the railroad tracks, I realized that I was driving in thick mud. But it was a narrow dirt road that goes through the forest, and there was no place to turn around. And I was sure if I tried to turn around, I would get stuck. And so I just did what any determined person would do in that situation, and I just decided I was going to get through this thing. And so I'm driving in thick mud, and I don't know, I probably got my, um, like, my inner race driver going, and I am steering like crazy, and it's like I was driving in slushy snow, except it was thick, thick mud, and I'm in a little low riding um, Toyota Corolla, and so there's not much clearance, and I know that if I stop, I don't have four-wheel drive, so I know that if I stop, I am stuck, and so I just go faster and faster, and I'm sliding all over the place, and I'm steering this way, and I'm steering that way, and I just keep thinking, do not stop, do not stop, and do not lose control, and do not hit any of these trees on the side of the road, and I was driving like a maniac, trying to get through the mud to get over to where it was a little bit higher ground. And so I drove in this way for about five miles. And um, every time I would think I was going to get stuck, I would just gun it a little bit and go a little faster and just try to keep moving, just keep my wheels moving, keep getting traction, and keep going. And um, until finally... Almost, it was just before it started, the road started to rise up and um, get a little bit higher, and I would have been out of some of that thickest mud, and all of a sudden it happened, and I come to a complete stop. 
and I'm in the the woods and um, in the forest, and I think I I am stuck. And so I think, well, I'll just try to reverse and go forward like you would do in the snow, except there was no going forward. There was no going backwards. I was wedged into that mud thick. So I think, well, I'll just call Dane and tell him where I am and ask him to come rescue me. And anyway, and so I try, and I've got one bar, and then I've got no bars, and I've got no reception for my phone. And um, and it was starting to get dusk, and I'm in the forest on a dirt road, and he doesn't know where I am, and he's expecting me to be ahead of him. And a half hour, 40 minutes go by. Nobody's coming down this dirt road. And then finally, a big truck came. And so I rolled down the window, and I'm, like, waving, and I'm like, I'm stuck, I'm stuck. And anyway, and he goes, I can't stop to help you or I'll get stuck. And this is a great big truck. And anyway, he goes past me, and he goes to a higher point, and then he walks back in the mud that's up past his ankles, and he walks back, and then I'm scared to roll down the window because I'm in the forest with a strange man that I don't know. And anyway, but I cracked the window a little, and I said, could you please call my husband? Well, he didn't have phone reception either. And so then he called for his friend to get out of the vehicle and come, and it happened to be his wife, which was wonderful. And um, anyway, and so then he's like, honey, do you have any bars? Because I don't have any reception out here, and she's really stuck. So they tried to get my husband. They could only leave a message, and they said, well, um, they they left a message for him, and so hopefully he would come. And so they went on and left me in the woods. And um, anyway, I waited, and I was looking, and I'm like, okay, I've got some water here. What if I have to stay overnight? Well, at least it's not winter time; It's summer, but there's mosquitoes like crazy, and I'm not going to open the windows because I'm in the middle of this forest. And I was doing okay staying calm until it started to get really dark. And then I was really, really, really scared. And um, I just kept praying, oh, Lord, please send Dane. Please send somebody to come rescue me. Please send Dane to come get me. And fortunately, he got that message. He doesn't get good reception up there either, but he got the message. And eventually I saw headlights coming over the hill and coming down. And he pulled up next to me, and he's like, what are you doing? What were you thinking coming out here? But anyway, he um, gets down. He has to. He had, he and his brother-in-law. They they've got shovels. They're trying to shovel the mud away from my tires. He ends up laying down on his back in the in the mud to try to get a tug and strap underneath under the carriage. I was buried up to the um, frame of my vehicle. And um, anyway, I have never been so grateful in all my life to be rescued from being stuck. That is the closest time I've ever been to feeling like I was just totally, totally stuck and totally helpless and could not do a thing about it. Well, this is the situation that we have with sin, folks. And this is a really simple three-point sermon, and I'm going to tell you the points right now. The first point is that humanity is totally stuck in sin. The second point is everybody is stuck. And the third point is that we're dead in sin and we deserve God's wrath. So there you go. There's the three points. Let's talk about them for a minute each. 
that humanity is totally stuck in sin. In the past five weeks, we started this gospel tool, a sermon series about go and make disciples. And um, we have spent five weeks on sin. And I have the blessing of being the um, fifth sermon on sin. And so what have we learned about sin? We've learned that sin destroys shalom. Remember in the Garden of Eden? They sinned and suddenly they're, um, they separate the communion that they celebrated with the Lord is broken. Um, everything that was flourishing and everything as it should be, all of a sudden um, they lose because of the sin. Sin not only destroyed shalom, but it separated them from God. And so we had a sermon about the orphan spirit and how that people started trying to find their own purpose and their own um, sense of self-esteem because they their significance they lost that um, sense of significance and their purpose and their relationship when um, sin entered. Then we had a third sermon about the fallout of sin and how that sin is a bitter slave master that we become slaves to sin and it grows and it just ripples out to affect every part of our lives and every part of creation. The fourth sermon we had talked about sin, um, that when we're engaging with sin, it actually causes us to come under the influence of Satan and opens the doors to oppression. And we looked at the life of Saul and how that he sinned, he failed to repent, it opened the door for oppression, and how that when David would play music and worship and pray, that that oppression would lift, but it was an evidence of how sin opens the door to the influence of Satan. And now today we're just looking at this message that we are totally, all of us, are stuck in sin. When I started down that mud road in the forest, there was only one sure outcome. I was going to get totally stuck. Later, when um, the... The tow truck came because there was a tow truck also that came to try to get me, but Dane got there first, and they said, what was that lady doing out here? It was obvious that this was a bad choice. Well, when humanity started down that wrong choice, that first road down sin, it led us to a certain road of death. Everyone is stuck, and that's really the um, Romans 3 Here is no one is righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They've all together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Do you hear that? No one, not even one, no one, everyone, all, every mouth, the whole world is going to be standing accountable to God because the law convicts us of our sin and lets us know of what condition we are. It talks about all kinds of sin in here. It talks about deceit, talks about telling lies, mouthful of curses. Have you ever said a swear word? Holding bitterness, not following the way of peace, no fear of God. Our mouths are like open graves. Remember, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so the scripture is just saying when they open their mouths, Death really comes out of it because it's what is the condition of their heart. And so when we're sinful, we are not speaking truthfully. We're not speaking kindly. We're not speaking graciously. 
There's sins of things that we do wrong. There's sins of failing to do the right thing. There's sins of attitudes, of words, of actions. Failing to live a life of perfect love toward God and towards others. Um, all these verses here from starting with 10 down through 18 are a bunch of quotes out of different writers from the Psalms, Ecclesiastes, Isaiah. Paul is saying we've, they've known it. The, um, the history of mankind has known that all of us fall short. It's well recorded. And um, Jews and Gentiles, which is another way of saying everybody on the earth, Jews and all the rest, we, every human has, is totally, totally stuck in sin. Paul gives this unflinching assessment of the human situation in verse 13 when he says, they have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. And so just in case, you're not convinced. I want to just offer the opportunity to do just a little honest self-assessment here. Because through the law, through God's scripture, we become conscious of our sin. So I just want to ask a few questions. Have you ever lied? Have you ever hurt someone with your words or your tone of voice? Are you bitter towards anyone? Do you become angry with those who strongly disagree with you? And I'm just saying, after the last year in North America, I'd say a lot of people just fall short on that one category. All right, some more questions. Have you ever longed for something that belonged to somebody else? Their car, their clothes, their house, their spouse? What about this? Does fear triumph over faith more often than not in your life? Have you ever gossiped? Parents, have you ever provoked your children to anger by the way you've treated them? Children and adults, have you always honored your parents in a way that you talk about them, you check in on them, you show care for them? People, do we submit to authority and pray for our leaders? Are you a cheerful giver? Are you humble? Are you kind? Have you ever once lacked self-control? Who is stuck in sin? Every single one of us is stuck. And Paul says it this way in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so we have this problem that humanity is totally stuck in sin and everyone is stuck in sin. And then we're dead in sin and deserve God's wrath. Ephesians 2, 1 to 3 says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them in one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of death. So Ephesians tells us we are dead in our sins, we're dead in our transgressions, and by nature we're deserving of God's wrath. A former professor from the seminary, Dr. Um, Michael Williams, said this, in our old lives enslaved to sin, we were like zombies. 
We hardly realized we were already dead as we lurched around from one disaster to another. Has your life ever represented that lurching around from one disaster to another? Maybe you might say, has drama seemed to follow your story? Um, and the thing is, when you're dead in your sins, you don't even know you're dead in your sins. And you're just bumbling around trying to make your way and find your way. Just like I was out on that mud road, just gunning it, trying to get through. And that's the way we are, apart from Christ, dead in our sins and deserving of God's wrath. Earlier in Romans, this book that we're looking at today, in the very first chapter, this um, book that Paul wrote to tell the very good news, he starts out in the very first chapter, verse 18 to 20, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what's been made so that people are without excuse. The wrath of God is being revealed against the godless. People are without excuse because they should be able to just very clearly see that it took a creator to make this beautiful creation. The wrath of God. The definition of wrath that we're going to learn this week in our um, gospel tool lesson is that wrath is used to describe God's righteousness. It's not based on an emotional instability, but the execution of justice in a controlled and deliberate manner. So the wrath of God is actually his his righteousness. It's his justice that's being um, executed in a very deliberate and controlled manner. So he is not, when we talk about the anger of God, we're not talking about an emotion that goes into rage that's out of control, but it's a justice and it's a righteousness. In the liturgy from this week's, um, that we've been a part of this service, we read the Heidelberg Catechism question and answers 10 and 11. Does God permit such disobedience and rebellion to go unpunished? And the answer is certainly not. God is terribly angry with the sin that we're born with, as well as the sins that we personally commit. And as a just God, God will punish them both now and in eternity. And question 11 well, but isn't God also merciful? And the answer is yes, certainly he's merciful, but also just. And God's justice demands that sin committed against his supreme majesty be punished with the supreme penalty. Eternal punishment of body and soul. Friends, we are totally stuck in sin. It's a hard thing to say, and it's a truthful thing to say. And I want to ask, why, why would Paul 
start this letter of Romans, the book of good news, telling such bad news? Why focus on misery? Why, when we would start an exciting discipleship, um, year of discipleship, would we so early on spend five weeks on sin? Well, it's because, and we pointed this out when we started looking at the Bible and opening it up in Genesis, already by chapter 3, we were into sin. And God wants us to understand this whole story of his beautiful creation and how sin absolutely wrecked Shalom. It was not his design to have that all wrecked, but yet he um, allowed it in his sovereignty and he has had a plan for a deliverer and a deliverance. But if we don't know that we're totally stuck and headed for hell, then we won't realize how much we need a savior. Misery, deliverance, gratitude. The pattern of the catechism, the story of the gospel. The Messiah, who we'll be hearing more about in the coming weeks, Christ Jesus meets us in our misery, in our stuckness. I could not preach this message on stuckness, on no one is righteous, without telling the good news that he doesn't leave us stuck. Just like Dane didn't leave me stuck in the forest, God doesn't leave us stuck in our misery. Humanity was totally stuck in sin, and yet God knows our condition, and he spoke the good news of the gospel very early in this mess, in the, just in Genesis 3.15, remember? Right after Adam and Eve fell, and the first thing that the Lord said to the serpent was, um, you're going to strike his heel and he's going to crush your head. And he spoke of a time when Christ would come, the Messiah would come, and put an end to our enemy and help to redeem and to bring us through and get us out of this stuck mess that we're in. Every one of us is stuck apart from Christ. But God loves us and he sees us. For God so loved the world that he gave his son, right? John 3.16. Romans 1.16. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. He loves, he sees the world, he sees each one, you, me, every single person. Dane didn't know where I was in the forest that day until somebody told him. But God knows just where you are. He's the God who sees and he's a God who cares. And so I want to say to you, he is a God who sees you in your brokenness. He sees you in that mess that you've made. He sees you in your stubbornness and your pride. He sees you in the drama of your life and the trail that you leave behind. He sees you in your insecurities. He sees you in that darkest of situations, and he knows that you're totally stuck. 
and he's willing to come to your rescue. Friends, somebody needs to hear that word today. All of us need to hear that word today, but there is somebody specific that needs to hear that he sees you in that dark place where you are right now, and he is the one who can come and rescue you. Apart from Christ, we're dead in sin, and we deserve God's wrath. And the scandal of the gospel is that Jesus stood in for us, paying our debt. Ephesians 2 says, and we've already looked at this, that we are dead in our transgressions and sins. We were deserving of God's wrath. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We are memorizing that scripture in our discipleship groups. And so think about this. We earn death by our sin and are given the gift of life by the Messiah, by Christ Jesus. But it comes by way of his death and him taking the wrath of our sin upon himself. R.C. Sproul says the scandal, in fact, is less that we who are sinners should get off scot-free, but that God should pay such a high cost for our redemption. Friends, Dane loves me, and because he did, he came to find me and get down in the mud and dig me out when I was stuck in the mud because he loves me. So, so, so much greater, the Messiah comes to earth, and he lays down his very life to bring your rescue and mine, because he loves us so much. I want to go back and tell you about the joy of being rescued. When Dane showed up, my heart just started to pound, and it's like I am not going to spend the night out here in the forest by myself. I was so thankful that I got rescued. I threw my arms around him, and when I got back to where our cottage was, I started hugging my family. I was crying. I was laughing. I was like, I didn't know if I'd ever see you again. Oh, I've never seen such beautiful people in my life. I am so thankful to be here. Oh, I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful. I was so thankful. When you know that you're in a bad situation and suddenly you get rescued, you are so grateful to the one that rescues you. And I read one other article that was called The Scandal of Sheer Grace. And they said this, hell is going to be full of people who think they deserve heaven. And heaven is going to be full of people who knew they deserved hell. When we know that we're getting what we don't deserve, but it's a total gift of grace. When we recognize that Jesus came to save us, he didn't come to shame us. He came to save us. And when we get saved, all there is to do is to celebrate and to express our gratitude because of this amazing good news of the gospel that when we were totally stuck in sin, Christ the Messiah came to save us. Amen and amen.